0: I need to start out this morning by making sure everybody's clear on something. On your bulletin, it says on the front of it, it's titled, The Beginning of the End of the Kingdom of Israel. But I titled my sermon, No King, But King God. The reason I did that is, is also the same reason that it's the beginning of the end for the Kingdom of Israel. They got confused and they forgot who they were supposed to serve, which is the one true God. So... Let me start it out this way. Hear ye, hear ye. Let it be known that on May 2nd, 2015, Princess Charlotte Elizabeth Diana of Cambridge was born. Wait a minute. (laughs) Seriously? They still do that stuff. I saw it on YouTube. I saw it on the news. They do that. Do you know, you may or may not know of this, But for the hardy group that slept outside for nearly two weeks, awaiting the arrival of said royal baby, um, they camped out of the hospital wing where Kate was about to have the baby. And Kate and William were so touched by that that they sent them pastries and coffee, which I thought was funny because I thought they drank tea in England. But anyways, and that's a nice gesture and all, okay? But I mean, come on. It's not like it was a Chick fil A grand opening and you have a chance to get sandwiches for a year or anything. These people, and there was more than just a few of them, there was a, a group of people who camped outside of the hospital for over two weeks to wait for a royal baby to be born. And they didn't even get an iPhone or an Apple Watch. All they got was some croissants and a cup of coffee. It's cold this time of year in London. They had pictures of them. They were all bundled up. It was cold. Just to get a chance to see the new royal baby. And then my next question is, why did we make such a big deal of it? Over here, every news channel for that same two-week period was on royal baby watch. And then I got to thinking, what if the United States of America had kings instead of presidents? Would we do all that royal baby? <laughs> Would we do all that royal baby madness stuff as well? Probably, we would, unfortunately. But did you know this? George Washington was asked to be the king of America during the Revolutionary War. And, and, and what, I was, what I researched said that George Washington, both as a Christian and as a praying man, rejected the offer because he believed that there was only one king. And a, and a motto that was shouted often during the war was, No king, but King Jesus. Now, here's an actual quote that I found from the Revolutionary War. It was found on the Catholic Education website, and it says this, In 1774, a report to King George of England, the governor of Boston, noted this, If you ask an American who is his master, he will tell you he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ. The pre-war colonial committees of correspondence soon made this the American motto, No King, but King Jesus. And this sentiment was carried over into the 1783 peace treaty with Great Britain. They ended the war. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that uh, we live in a country of, of freedoms and that we have the freedom to, to worship you. I thank you that, that you are the one true God and that, that you have set in place for us a standard of, of right and wrong and a, uh, an opportunity to be a reflection of you here. And so I pray that as, as we look into your kingdom, Israel, and the story that was told, that we'll glean from it, we'll learn from it, we'll, we'll not just read it as something fanciful that happened in history, but that we will, we will see where we can make improvements on our own lives, make improvements in our own communities, according to your will. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You see, God's people, the Israel nation, they needed a motto like that. They needed a motto, no king but king God. The human kings the nation, the human kings in the nations, they got them in a lot of trouble, which is, is ironic because God told them back when they asked for a king at the very beginning and, and he was about to give them King Saul, he said, you're going to get in trouble. You want a king? With a king comes all kinds of stuff, taxes and, and laws and all these things. And he, he already told them that they were going to get into trouble, but they were like, we want a king. We know better than you, God. Give us a king. He said, okay, here's a king. And over this... Uh, hundreds of years, a period of time in history, the nation split into two smaller, weaker nations. I talked about that the last two weeks. And during the time of what we call the divided kingdom, there's a lot of overlap with the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, but there was a total of 38 kings in all. And only five were good kings. The other 33 kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I told you, last week, God sent nine prophets to the northern kingdom over a span of 208 years, and His people refused repeatedly to hear and to obey those prophets. And the northern kingdom, Israel, fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. God warned His people of this calamity in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, verses 7-13. through 13. And you're going to read about all this this week in your story Bible. You're going to talk about it in your story groups. Speaking up in verse 7, he says, "...all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all the towns..." They set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. Verse 11 says that every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshiped idols through the Lord, excuse me, they worshiped idols though the Lord had said, "You shall not do this." The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all of his prophets and seers. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. Did you hear this? There were no good kings in Israel. Israel ends up being exiled because of sin. The ten tribes in the north are conquered and sent into exile by the Assyrians. They become known as the lost tribes of Israel. That's the second king, seventeen eighteen. It says that God removed them from his presence. Now, there's an upper story warning for us here. If you want to keep playing around with sinning against the Lord willfully, don't be surprised when you are removed from his presence, Israel. It can happen. The Southern Kingdom Judah was ruled by both good and evil kings. Hezekiah was a good king. he trusted in God. Hezekiah, by putting his trust in God, he defied the Assyrian king that conquered the northern kingdom. Second Kings chapter 19 verses 15 through 19 says this, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. you have made heaven and earth. give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from this hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, our God. And you know what happened? This is the best part. God himself destroyed the Assyrian army. And not just a little part of it. This is a true story. 2 Kings nineteen thirty five and 37. These two verses, I love this because it says, That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Or as I like to say, and lo, they woke up Dead my loose interpretation there. You see, verse 36 says, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adrammelech and Sherazar killed him with a sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Ezer, Ezerhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. So all that takes place, and now we're going to jump back a little bit, back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah died. His son became king. That's how it happened with royalty. But the sad thing is this. Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, he was less than average. He was an evil king. 2 Kings chapter 21 says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Oh, there's your first part. A 12-year-old has no business ruling a country. It's just my personal opinion. Um he probably should have got a spanking, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> this 12-year-old king reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. This 12-year-old king, he rebuilt the high places that his father had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. Practiced divination. Divination, sought out omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land that I gave them. Their ancestors, if only, here we go. We've heard this before. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray. They, didn't, they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord said to his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem and the the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of the enemy. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies. They have all done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came up out of Egypt until this day. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord." As for the other events of Manasseh's reign and all he did, including the sin he committed, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in this place, in his palace garden, the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. No wonder it was the beginning of the end. You you would think at some point somebody would, would pick up on this, but listen to what happens next. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years his mother's name was Meshulamith, daughter of Heraz. She was from Jotbah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshipped, bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to, them, to him. Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. You see, evil begets evil. And eventually it's going to stop. Stay with me. The people of the land killed all who had plotted against Ammon, and they made Josiah his son king in his place. As for the other events in Ammon's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? He was buried in his tomb in the garden of us, and Josiah his son succeeded him as king. All of this happens, as I said, in a a timeline of overlapping years. And God sends Isaiah to tell Manasseh that God will use the Babylonians as his tool of judgment. Judah, while warned of exile, is promised that they, that they will return to their homelands as a purified nation in Isaiah 14. Because our God will keep His promise to bring the Messiah through Judah. So even though all this bad stuff is going on, you may think, well, the, the promise of the Messiah is lost here. But it's not, because God has already forewarned everybody what's going to happen. He, he's kept His promises, because our God will keep His promise, and He will bring the Messiah through Judah. The Bible says that Judah will not be disappointed that's one of the things that Isaiah says, Isaiah forty nine twenty three, And then he also the Bible also says that Judah will be a blessing to the whole world, Isaiah 49, 29. And this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah provides this character sketch of the Messiah. He gives this, this character sketch of what's to come. And it's in Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 7. He says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah 53 verse 10 and 11 says this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge Excuse me. He'll be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. How can anyone miss this being fulfilled? Not only that, but being fulfilled in Jesus. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah said this. He said, this is the kind of Messiah you should be looking for. But instead, they they were looking for a king that would conquer rather than a savior that would heal. They were still getting it wrong. Way back then... The, the, the separation begins to happen because people are doing evil in their own eyes. The kings are leading the people astray. What king are you looking for? What kind of a king are you looking for? You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Bible says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We have a simple challenge. To live the motto, no king, but King Jesus. Jesus he, he exhorts us in, in, to seek God's kingdom. Before, before Matthew 6.33, there are other things that are listed that, that concern people. And Jesus says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you. i got to tell you, the United States of America is a nation among Nations. I'm proud of that for the most part, but as a people, we must seek and obey God's will. Sadly, the United States of America defies God in many ways. For example, denying the teaching of creation and intelligent design in public schools. By putting the challenge to, to accepting to, to being acceptance of prayer in public schools, we're denying God. We we do things as a nation. Detestable things. We legalize abortion. We redefine what marriage looks like to God. And then our government leaders have turned it around so that it appears Christians are judging people and those circumstances and hating people rather than the changes that have become acceptable. We can no longer simply agree to disagree. It seems that in our country these days, if I don't agree with you or with your stance, then I'm a racist or I'm prejudiced, or or I'm a bigot uh, to your cause, when in reality, I just don't like the University of Alabama or Auburn. I like either one of them. Too late, I already called it out. I think you get my point. The revival of a nation starts with us as individuals. It starts with us as a congregation. The question that has to be answered is, do you want to see revival in our country? Because right now, as a country, we are just like Israel. We are at the beginning of the end. And it's not too late, but we have to be that change. Because what people see in us is how people are going to see God. It has to start within your heart. It has to start within my heart. I read to you earlier about a king who was so wicked that he not only followed other gods, but he sacrificed his own son in fire. Now, I know that when I shared that, when I read that from Scripture, that you all made a judgment about that man. I know you did because I did. But the reality is this. We do the same thing. We we Maybe we don't toss our kid in the fire, but we do the same thing. We sacrifice our families to the things that we worship when no one's looking. We sacrifice our families to the things that we do. The thoughts that we have. If you truly want to see revival in our nation, then it starts with you. You have to put God first in your life. Not just in words. I put God first, I came to church. Bah! Put Him first in your actions. Listen, put Him first in how you live your life. What you watch on TV, what you read, what you say, how you treat people. Our nation will not change if Christians just choose to go with the flow was part of the problem yeah a king had his place but the people still had a choice well it's just easier to follow the king he's our leader not when he's leading you the wrong way listen i'm i'm not asking you to judge your neighbor or the people that you work with i'm asking you to judge yourself i'm asking you to judge yourself against god's word and then i'm asking you to live out what you know is right that's the response for today. Look at yourself. Judge yourself. Are you at the beginning of your end? Are you at that place where you can keep going and there's going to be a downward spiral? Or are you at that place where you can start setting stuff aside and start following God back on a path that's upward, that's a good reflection of Him? That's what I'm asking. You know how to live what's right. That's the response for today, to look at yourself, judge yourself. Be honest about you before the Lord. Let me give you a secret. He already knows who you are. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what separates you from him. The problem is we don't always admit it. Be honest with yourself about who you are before God. That's where revival starts. Because you can fool some of the people some of the time. you can't fool God ever. As you do that today, take this moment and examine yourself before the Lord. And if if your moment of honesty before the Lord brings you to a place of repentance where you need prayer and accountability, and maybe you just don't know where to start with something, our elders are here, they'll gladly pray with you. If your moment of honesty brings you to an understanding that that you need to know Christ better, that you need to begin fresh with baptism or, or have questions about that, the baptistry is ready and maybe you have more questions about making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Andy or myself or the elders, any one of us would love to study that scriptures with you and to, to know that you have an understanding of the gravity of making that decision. Maybe you're ready to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church to get involved in serving and, and, and being a part of our community and the ministry opportunities we have. Whatever your response is, as, as we get ready to stand and sing... My prayer is that we will have Jesus on the throne of our lives and that we will begin to live out the motto, No King, but King Jesus. It may not seem like the best Mother's Day sermon, but that's okay. Because every one of us needs to be that person. We need to make that our motto. No King, but King Jesus. Will you consider that during our response time? Will you stand and sing with us? That's just it. There's only one true God. There's no other religion, no other God, no other whatever in folklore and history that sent His Son to die for you and me. And that's where we need to go and live for Him. No King, but King Jesus. Before we leave, I need all the men in the room to just sit down. You know who you are. Good job. <laughs> now, for our women who are standing, uh, go ahead and start sending them out. We've, we've got a little something, our youth group, because all moms love a homemade Mother's Day gift, we have made you a Mother's Day gift. And so they're going to come by, and you may or may not cry, uh, but <laughs> we're going to pass those out very quickly. Pass them out. Everybody get one. That's the the goal. Is that all our ladies get one? All right. I think everybody, right. guys, you can go ahead and stand back up. Go ahead and and we do. We appreciate our moms and the women that are in our lives. And so, happy Mother's Day. If you're if you're not a mom, you've still impacted the lives of the people around you, and we appreciate that here at Huntsville Christian Church. Um, I want to say that. It's been great to worship with you all this morning and to be here with you, but now it's time to go. In your story, in your, your story Bible chapter 16 this, this week, is titled, The Beginning of the End of the Kingdom of Israel. It was the beginning of their end because God told them back when he gave them the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. When you start adding little gods to your life, eventually they're going to flush out the one true God, and he will become little to you. That's not what we want to happen. The Israelites, I want you to understand this, they didn't just wake up one morning and go, hey, let's blaspheme against God. They became complacent. They they gradually became desensitized to the fact that all around them, pagan gods were being worshipped. They started to just accept certain things a little bit at a time, and then all of a sudden they were overwhelmed with this other worship, and they were worshipping these pagan gods. And as they became desensitized, they became curious. As they became curious, they became worshipers of other gods. Uh, the point is this. You don't have to touch fire to know that it's hot. We all know what sin is. And we all know what honoring God is. As you go this week, go honoring God and live for no king but King God.